going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Going the Distance podcast presented by ImmaculateSports.com. Twitter's at Sports. Instagram is also at Sports. TikTok, YouTube, Immaculate Sports. It's episode 176. The divisional round was awesome. It's down to the final four. Uh, we're going to talk about all of that, man, predicting who's going to the Super Bowl. And it's the perfect week for a Sports Center type episode, too, because uh, a lot of stuff going on with the major sports in America this week. Yeah, a lot of coaching hires that we've seen or the beginning of the coaching carousel hires. Uh, and then, of course, the divisional games, mock drafts, all that stuff. We'll get right into it. And I'll start it off with the opener. And my opener, I guess I could put all of the divisional round because we got three good games out of four games. But the best one, in my opinion, was to see the Lions win again at home. And to see that team, that atmosphere, it's one of a kind. And I know we'll talk more about the game later, but I just wanted to start that off with, with my opener as the best thing I saw this past week. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm glad we got some some good close games in the playoffs now. I was getting worried there for a minute. I'm going with some basketball, though. Last night was a ridiculous night for the NBA. So basically, last night I'm working. I have to coach and set up a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not looking at my phone for hours. I was so confused by all the texts I saw. At one point, I saw one from Kyle saying like, wow, Anthony Towns is on pace for 72. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? 70 points? Anyways, I look through all the numbers. I get home. I watch the clips from the games. Joel Embiid. 70 points against the Spurs. We could talk about Joel Embiid for an entire episode, but we won't because we don't have time for that. But it's basically him and Will Chamberlain doing some of the stuff that he's been doing this season, which is awesome. Later that night, Carl Anthony Towns has 40 at half, which is ridiculous on its own because everyone talks about the next person who's going to get to Kobe's 81 has to have a ridiculously hot start, not just a crazy third quarter like some of those clay games. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. They lost to Charlotte at home, but it was a franchise record 62 for Cat. 10 three-pointers as a seven-footer is pretty crazy. Yeah, and all this on the 18th year anniversary of Kobe scoring 81, exactly. which is insane. It's crazy. <laughs> Moving on from basketball, though, we'll, we'll talk more about it towards the end of the episode with the big Pacers and Siakam trade that we saw this past week. We're getting back into football and more into the divisional round and some of the season grades for the eliminated teams and the recaps of the four games that we saw this past week. We'll get started with the first one that happened. It was the Texans going into Baltimore and getting destroyed 34 to 10. Kind of expected this in the way that Baltimore is just going to be a bit better than Houston. Obviously there was the bit of skepticism in the way that, you know, Houston just took down Cleveland pretty handily. Baltimore hasn't played in a couple weeks, maybe Something happens there. It didn't happen. C.J. Stroud didn't have the same performance that he had in his first playoff game. 19 for 33, 175 yards, no touchdowns, but he also did not throw a pick. Texans couldn't run the ball. They only had 38 rushing yards on 14 carries. And Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense looked as smooth and as good as it's been the entire season. Lamar having two touchdowns in the air and two touchdowns on the ground with 100 rushing yards. What do you make of this Ravens game, Skyler? And what's your season grade for the Houston Texans? So this is about what I expected here. You got a, a Baltimore team that is literally on fire against a rookie quarterback, even though he's been great this season. He's still a rookie at the end of the day. And uh, just something to watch out for, I guess, for Baltimore before we head into the grade here. A lot of talk about Lamar Jackson, rightfully so, in the offense, but really it's that Mike McDaniel-led defense has been ridiculous this season. And um, sorry, CJ, you'll get him next year. Anyways, though, uh, A-plus this season for Houston, 10-7 and seven, to draft two immediate superstars back-to-back -back is something that just doesn't happen anywhere. And that helps speed up the rebuild immediately to a contender this season. Combine that with hitting on some of the late picks. And you have Jacksonville shaking in their boots again. Uh, Houston and Indy, we, you know, just shout them out because uh, we won't be talking about them for a while. Have a chance to flip the script again here in the South and uh, take it over for the next 10 years or so. Yeah, I give the, the Texans an A+. Plus and it's really damn hard to get an A-plus if you don't win the Super Bowl. But with what the Texans did this year, 
their jump from last year and what our, our expectations alone were for this team going into the 2023 season. They blew everything out of the water. They won a division. They won a playoff game. Obviously, they lose to the Ravens, but you kind of expect it at that point. I give it an A-plus for sure. Like you said, found a franchise quarterback. Also found a star on the back or on the defensive side of the ball in Will Anderson. They found a head coach of the future. They might end up losing their offensive corner, Bobby Slowick, which sucks, but if you have CJ Stroud, you have Nico Collins, you have Tank Dell, you're going to be fine. And this team's only going to be better, too, as well with the money that they have to spend in free agency, the, just the growth from Stroud and some of the other guys of playing for more than just one year. Great year for the Texans. And to go 10-7 and seven and win a playoff game, it's got to be a nice one. Second game that we saw on divisional round weekend was also, or was one of the first good games uh, of the entire playoffs. But we saw Jordan Love and the Packers go into SF or Santa Clara and almost take down the Niners in the 24 to 21 loss, but a win for the Niners there. Brock didn't look the greatest, but he did look good at the end of the game. That's what mattered the most for them. Game winning drive, CMC ends up getting a touchdown. But Brock made a couple good throws to get him into that spot. He ends up going 23 for 39, 252, and a touchdown, no picks. CMC has two touchdowns on the ground, just misses 100 rushing yards. Kittle with a touchdown in the air. And then on the Green Bay side, Jordan Love, 21 for 34, 194, two touchdowns, two interceptions. One of them losing the game from kind of the Brett Favre-esque throwing across your body. Type play. Aaron Jones was great on the ground, 108 yards there on 18 carries. Touchdowns for Tucker Craft and Bo Melton. How about those names? Uh, oh, but what yeah. do you make of this game, Skyler? And what do you think about the Packers season? You know, Jordan Love is is the big topic here. I at the end of the day, it, it was on him. He made one too many mistakes, but. This Green Bay team is exciting still. They were making San Francisco really uncomfortable, uh, very uncharacteristic drops from some of the receivers. Um, slowed down McCaffrey for about a half, and then he kind of took things over after that. And Brock Purdy did not look the same. So um, almost, man, three points against the number one seed. Uh, I think you take that. So I'm I'm gonna give Green Bay an A minus for this season. Imagine if they didn't start two and five. This could have been another A plus back to back because Jordan Love can make some pretty spectacular plays. He's got a lot of help around him. Another young team exceeding their expectations. So this isn't another one hit wonder. They're gonna be back. I feel like A minus is fair. Yeah, in this game alone, the Packers honestly should have won this game. They dropped a pick six early. They got three really bad spots from referees in this game and ended up not challenging any of them, which is kind of weird. Mm. But regardless, they lose. They still have a great season, just like the Texans. They win a playoff game. Obviously, they don't win the division, but they win a playoff game and lose to the number one seed. So for being the of a team and for Jordan Love to come this far with the receiving core of Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, Bo Melton, Luke Musgrave, Christian Watson, Emmanuel Wilson, Tucker Craft, and Dontavian Wicks. It's a great year. And we know they're going to be back. I think everybody in the NFL is no longer surprised by the Packers. We expect them to be good again, and I give them an A. Moving on to the Sunday games, the first of which was the Lions taking down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I alluded to it in my opener. We'll talk more about it now. Jared Goff, 30 for 43, 287 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Jameer Gibbs, nine carries, 74 yards, and a touchdown. One of those, or or the touchdown run, was quite an impressive run for sure. Craig Reynolds got a touchdown on the ground, stole a David Montgomery touchdown for me that would have hit my <laughs> one of my parlays in the weekend. Uh, Sam Laporta, nine catches, 65 yards. Amon Ra, eight catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. And then a big pick. By Derek Barnes to end it off. CJ GJ also had a pick early in the game on Tampa Bay's side of the ball. Baker went 26 for 41, 349, three touchdowns, and then those two interceptions. Didn't really run the ball, but Rashad White was effective when he got it 
55 yards on nine carries. Mike Evans and K. Dotton kind of carried the way for Tampa Bay's receiving core. Mike had a big game, eight for 147 and a touchdown, and Cade had five for 65 and a touchdown. Skyler, I think we can both agree. Again, this is a good year for the Buccaneers. What do you take away from this with the Lions? And then, of course, the Bucs season grid as well, too. Yeah, a lot of yards in this one, man. And um, I, I really thought Tampa had a shot at the end. Uh, it just seemed like the Detroit defense caught on eventually what they were trying to do, where they were trying to go. And Brian Branch was all over the place, man. Um, the linebacker, Derek, some, I'm, Jesus, Derek I, should, I should know his name. Thank you. Derek Barnes with the, uh, the sealer at the end. But Detroit was ready. They ran the ball over 10 more times. They kept the ball they didn't turn it over they knew what they were doing and uh tampa that's not their strong suit <laughs> however I, I am giving them an a this season i don't think it's a better season than green bay but it is a better grade because this team was projected to take drake may at number two basically all the way up until their three and one start baker's going to get a well-deserved extension many of the vets looking to hit the market will likely stay now the only problem i see here is that the you know the baker injury history of course but also Todd Bowles, despite being a great defensive mind, he can't seem to get the clock situation and the fourth down kicking stuff right. But it is a very weak division. They could easily be back here next year. Yeah. I'm giving the name to the Bucs. Same grade that I gave the Packers. And kind of crazy because it's two completely different rosters where this Tampa Bay team is – more veteran oriented. Obviously, you don't have. Well, I don't know how to say this, but you don't have the same type of QB as Jordan Love. Yeah, you know, Baker Mayfield just had a good season. He is what he is. The receiving core is completely veteran with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Because they weren't supposed to be here. You found the quarterback of your future, whether that's going to be a guy that wins you a Super Bowl, probably not. But you found a guy who's probably going to be good enough to win you the division in the NFC South each year, especially if the Falcons don't make a good coaching hire or the Saints don't improve at all over the offseason. Like you said, though, there is some of the you know contract expiring type stuff that you have to worry about. Antoine Winfield, Mike Evans, who said prior to the season that this was going to be his last year in Tampa Bay, maybe this year and how it went kind of changed that, but you never know. Storylines will always change in the offseason. So there's going to be a bit of reshaping with this team. However, they found a fun foundation when in the offseason, you know, 365 days ago, we looked at this team and we really we really didn't see a direction with them. So they got a good spot going or good thing going. And they give the Bucks an A. The last game of the divisional round was a classic. Uh, as the Kansas City Chiefs went into Buffalo and took down the Bills once again, 27 to 24. I hated watching it because they just wanted Kansas City to lose, but I guess we got to watch him beat Buffalo every single year. Mahomes, 17 for 23, 215, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Not a crazy numbers game, but anybody who watched the game knows he played really, really well. Pacheco had 97 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Mahomes and his main target, Travis Kelsey, successfully for, I don't say the first time in a while, but didn't seem too great this season. Five for 75 and two touchdowns for Kelsey is exactly what they needed in the offense to make it look as good as it's been in this entire season. McCole Harbin did have two fumbles, though. I don't know if you saw the uh, stat graphic with him. It's like one carry, negative one yard, one catch, two yards, and then two fumbles or something like that, which is funny. Uh, On the Buffalo side of the ball, Josh Allen with 26 for 39 under 200 yards held the 186 one touchdown no interceptions on the ground he did have two touchdowns and 72 72 yards on 12 carries james cook 61 yards khalil shakir had a touchdown Stephon diggs got shut down and the bills offense in general just looked very weird they they did take a, a couple shots deep and they didn't work out one to diggs one to shakir i believe as well too but it was a lot of dink and dunking for an offense that has the ability to be super explosive. I know you don't have Gabe Davis, and that's one of the main reasons of probably why they weren't so explosive. But to see the, the Bills offense like this and 
seeing him kind of play tentatively was really weird to see. So what do you take away from this game, Skyler, and what, what's your season grade for the Bills? Well, first of all, this game was awesome. Like you said, uh, I enjoyed watching it. Um, but Buffalo has been really weird this year, obviously. Um, a new play caller and Joe Brady. Um, it's Like you said, it seemed like they were running middle, bubble screen, or throw it up to no one. And those were their three play calls today, even though they had looked so good leading up to this. Um, obviously, you have a couple deep drops where if you catch it, we're probably going to overtime with Stefan Diggs and um, Trenton, whatever the hell. Trenton. Sherf, Sherf, was that Sherfield? Oh, Buffalo? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Kansas City, uh, I, I was happy because I picked them and Buffalo is my rival. I, But I understand why people would be upset. It's Mahomes again, man. But uh, we'll get to him in a little later. Buffalo, it's a B plus because we thought they would be here. Oh, you know, crazy finish to the season uh, to win the division with the entire defense on the IR. Shocked some people for sure. But this is right where we had them. They're winners of the East, but they just can't seem to figure out Kansas City when it matters. Lots of drama with McDermott, Stephon Diggs, Joe Brady. But it sounds like everyone's coming back, and you know they're going to match up again sometime soon. Maybe grab a, a couple of linemen and another receiver, and uh, you can move the ball on them next year. Yeah, it's it, – it's very frustrating. I, I'm happy I'm not a Bills fan because watching this team and just lose to the same team every single year would be absolutely horrendous to watch. I, I do give this Bills team a C minus. I wanted to be a bit harsher on them. It's tough when you win really injured that. And their defense was super injured. It, it was tough to to get to this point that they did, but to fall down in the same spot that you've fallen down in the last five years. It's just been feasible, man. And, you know, you can always just look at it. Well, they'll be back next year and they're going to have another chance and eventually they'll get it done. But eventually they're just not going to get there. And that's going to be how it goes because Josh Allen isn't on some, you know, $14 million cap hit next year. He's on $42 million. And then it goes up after that. And it keeps on going up for, you know, the next five years of his contract. Gabe Davis didn't look too happy leaving the sidelines. We know Stephon Diggs hasn't been too happy. So I don't know if I, you know, expect a move from the, one of those two wide receivers, but I don't think Josh the protections completely just continue and we see somebody moved. I don't think it'd be Josh Allen, of course, but maybe Diggs does, maybe request a trade, who knows? But I give the Bills a C minus because they just and from now from here like how do you even get better you know like you you had you had a good defense you had a good offense the offense just randomly spotted out of nowhere your defense got completely injured and you just i don't know like it's happened too many times just chalk it up to say you know what we'll see you next year so maybe changes are coming for them maybe they're not And behind us, we'll move forward to conference championship weekend. Some people think it's the best weekend or best round of the NFL playoffs. I don't know if I agree with that, but to see two teams go to the Super Bowl is always fun. Always very exciting on that Sunday. The first game is the AFC championship game. We have the Chiefs going to Baltimore at MNT Bank Stadium. It really feels like Mahomes can do it, man. Again, even though it came down to the last possession in Buffalo, they couldn't stop him. It was a couple fumbles from Michael Hardman that, that killed the drives. However, there's nothing like this Baltimore defense still alive in the tournament. Um, with Baltimore at home, I'm going to take him by a field goal. This one should probably play out exactly like the game in Buffalo did, if we're all being honest with each other. I'm excited. Anyone could take this over. Who's going to make that that dumb mistake at the end? Yeah, uh, I'm excited for this game. This this feels, I mean, it's obviously a big one, but it, it feels like one of the more fun games that we're going to be able to watch in the last, you know, five to six years of the NFL. And 
we got rightfully so the two best teams in the AFC going at it. And I know Kansas City has had their hiccups this year, but you watch them play in Buffalo and they were just better than Buffalo. And that's exactly how they won that game. They didn't win it off of, you know, crazy turnover. They didn't win it off of, you know, a muff punt or anything like that. They just won it because they were better. And that tells me enough to say that they deserve to be in this game. And Baltimore, we know for sure, deserves to be in this game. The defenses are both great units, but Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes are going to have insane games in this one. I think the way that these two dudes are playing, there's not really anything that can stop these guys right now. So I'm picking Baltimore. I say it's a high-scoring game, 35-32. to 32. Baltimore moves on in field goal because of their offense and not their number one ranked defense. The championship game sides together. We got the Lions for the first time in a long time facing the team that seems to be in the NFC Championship every single year, the San Francisco 49ers. Skyler, how does this one play out? So this season, Detroit's going to get an A. No, I'm kidding. That's for next week because San Francisco's winning. Uh, Kyle Shanahan and those guys just understand what it takes to win a game like this. Punting when you don't really want to, taking your three points, time of possession. Even with their offensive struggles, San Francisco should win by a touchdown if Purdy can just stay out of the way. Let their play script play out. Don't turn it over. Just take what's in front of you, even if it's two, three yards. That's something that Dan Campbell and Jared Goff are going to lose their minds over, resulting in some big mistakes that's going to cost them. Yeah. I would absolutely love to see the Lions win a Super Bowl. That was just that environment, that emotion behind the, the path would be so much fun to watch. But it's not going to happen. And it's going to be due to their defense. You look at the four teams in this and you see four great offenses. You see four great you know, play callers, coordinators. But the Lions defense is the odd man out of of everybody in this championship round. And that's going to be what costs them. I don't think if you're Rock Party the Niners, you're going to have to do anything too crazy. You know, spread the ball around. Do what you're good at. And you should be fine in this game unless you make some crazy mistake. And for the Lions, you got to be perfect. You have to be perfect in this game. The only thing that they got going for them is the Niners going to look the greatest last week. And there, there's no denying that, but I don't, be shocked, a completely perfect game next week. So I got the Niners 34 to 21. All right. We will move on now to the coaches hiring because we got two of them. Uh, I will also hit on the Raiders GM hiring as well. But the first head coach hiring that we saw was Antonio Pierce removing the interim tag from his title and being named as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. What's your opinions on this hiring? Good hiring, bad hiring? Should they win somewhere else? What do you think? Yeah, this is this is the right choice here. First of all, you're going to avoid so many issues in the locker room, like uh, possibly Josh Jacobs coming back for a hometown discount, uh, two superstar players, Devontae Adams, Max Crosby. Now, you, you wouldn't expect they would demand a trade anymore, even though there were some rumors of that. Uh, that... Anything that's a reasonable price, they're coming back now. Um, They could be in play for some free agents that otherwise wouldn't come to the Raiders because of how these superstar players have talked about Antonio Pierce in a short time there taking over. It's just all about the quarterback right now. That's the thing. If Antonio Pierce and Mark Davis think that Jaden Daniels is just going to fall into their lap, it's it's going to go horribly wrong. You got to trade up. You got to go get Justin Fields, something, because those guys aren't going to be falling to pick 13. Uh, other than that, I would be excited by a Raider fan. Yeah. My opinion is that it was the right choice. You look at how much the culture changed, whether it was from the players, from the rot, or from the uh, team itself, and even to the fans. This is. It's night and day from what it was in week eight to what it is right now. Uh, Josh McDaniels' cultureless had uh, – Devontae was even on a podcast with uh, James Jones and somebody else this past week, 
and he was talking about how he just like people hated coming to work every single day when, when McDaniels was there. And now being in a spot, even when you're eliminated and you kind of know you're eliminated in that, especially in that week 18 game against the Broncos, they were all there and, and they were acting as if that was, that was the game to win the Super Bowl. Up, I've seen one of the Raiders teams and to not go with AP, even though maybe schematically it might've been not the best thing. Them. You win the players over, and that's exactly what you need in order to, you know, win in this league. Is you got to have your players trust, and you have to have everybody buy in. From there, you got to hit on stuff. Uh, and today, we hired Tom Telesco, former GM of the Los Angeles slash San Diego Chargers, to be our GM. I'll let you see first. I know I didn't put this on the actual spreadsheet, and I don't even know if you have any opinions on this. I've been thinking about it, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll let you go first, and then I'll, then I'll hit on what, what I was going to say. All right. Well, uh, basically, all I saw on Twitter today was just clowning picks that he has made for the Chargers in the past. Oh, he took Jerry Tillery. Oh, now he's he's just going to you know come to the Raiders just to get him another Forrest Lamp. But this is a guy who's put together a playoff roster before, something that is very important because everyone's got superstars these days. you got to be able to build a team that can win in January. And uh, I get it. E- even though the Chargers haven't had the most luck in January, they know how to build a roster. So... We just got to see, man. Like you said, you know, th- this is a guy who could sometimes take a guy who's not the best available just because he really likes him. So maybe we'll understand where his head's at after the first draft. Yeah. A uh, couple points I want to make. The first is that this whole offseason for the Raiders relies around the quarterback position. And it's how you make that play that will either win the Raiders fan base over or lose the Raiders fan base over. We saw this for Ziegler. The first big move that he made was trading for Devontae Adams, and that made the fan base absolutely love him. And it masked a lot of the bad moves that he made with Chandler Jones, some of the draft picks, uh, and signing a couple guys to free agency deals that you probably shouldn't have. But you look at Tom Telesco. What was the one quarterback they drafted in the first round while he was mm-hmm. there? It's Justin Herbert. Some people say, you know, he just fell into his lap. Oh, they wanted to uh, all this stuff. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you wanted. It matters what you got. And he got a quarterback that is going to change the Chargers' future for the next 10 to 15 years. And then you're still, uh, uh, you got to address how you draft early in the draft. I think that's been something how or something criticized for the Raiders, you know, last three, four, five regimes even uh, of how they draft in the first round and whether it's even Jamarcus Russell or some of the twos that we've taken recently as well, too. You got a guy that could argue some, some big time players in the first round of the. Of the the draft in his career. He hit on Joey Bosa. He hit on Derwin James. He hit on Justin Herbert. I'm blanking on a couple other guys, but there, he, in his 10 years, he picked, you know, six or seven solid guys with his first Rayshon round Slater's pick. Obviously, very good. Slater as well, too. Obviously, last year, Quentin Johnston doesn't look like it's going to be the right pick, but you're going to have those every now and and <laughs> having a bust every Four or five years is a lot better than what the Raiders were doing the you know the last twenty years. So I don't mind the Telesco hiring. I know it's not the sexiest hire, and I think some of the fan base wanted Champ Kelly, who was the interim GM. But Mark Davis kind of made it clear throughout his interviews that he didn't want to hire a rookie GM and head coach duo. He wanted somebody to have that experience, and that's exactly what he got with Tom Telesco. So I'm okay with it for now. We're starting Aiden O'Connell or Jimmy Garoppolo or something in week one next year. I'll know what my opinion is then, but if we're starting Jane Daniels or Justin Fields or even like a Michael Penix or something like that, I know what this guy wants to do and I know he wants to win. So I'm happy for you. Next up. The Titans head coach, they hired 
former Bengals offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan. I don't know the specifics of the deal. Skyler, what do you think about this hiring? I like it. If I were to grade it, probably a B plus because Tennessee needs an offensive mind in the building for Will Levis. This is the son of Bill Callahan. He was with the Raiders the last time they went to the Super Bowl. I'm sure you know that, but uh, or maybe not. And uh, I, well, he wasn't specifically Brian uh, Callahan. The, uh, his dad, yes, his dad. Sorry. Anyway, the son of former players. That's been a big topic, you know, uh, in all the sports, really, how the sun is usually better. We're starting to see it a little more common with coaching. So I, I'm really interested into this because he's been, Brian, the son, very well respected across the league as an offensive mind for the past couple of years. I, I like the idea of the long-term coordinator becoming the head coach for the rebuild because he's going to have a longer leash than an unproven guy. Will and with CJ Stroud in the division, uh, it may be a while before they win again. So get ready, Tennessee. Um, you're gonna have some crazy offensive plays. I'll give you that. This guy helped uh, build up Joe Burrow over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's a hiring where it feels bittersweet in a way because I think Callahan will be a good coach, but I don't think he's better than Brable. I yeah. think that's kind of the growing consensus with it. He's worked under some interesting dudes, Jim Caldwell, John Fox, John Gruden, because he was the quarterback's coach for the Raiders in 2018, uh, Gary Kubiak. He was under Josh McDaniels when McDaniels was in Denver for a couple years, and then, of course, under Zach Taylor these past few years in Cincinnati. It's been the OC for five years, which I believe it was the longest tenure of any besides him i think every other team has switched their oc since Mm -hmm. 2022 which is kind of crazy to think about i don't know this is a guy who led some of the greater passing offenses in the nfl even with joe mixon he i mean it's probably more zach taylor but they struggled in the run game to really make that group effective. They never had a group that was higher than 23rd in rushing in the league. And that 23rd season was when they actually went to the Super Bowl. So I guess it was enough there and to be good on offense, but we're going to see one level still in the ball in this offense for sure. Who knows what happens with Derrick Henry, but that offense is going to change completely because you think of Tennessee and how their offensive was, it was run the ball downhill and then when they had Tannehill, A.J. Brown, and Corey Davis, it was run downhill and throw the ball deep and throw screens. Arthur like Smith, the baby. They did it all, all the time. Now it is completely changed. It's going to be probably 30 to 40 dropbacks at least a game, a lot of shotgun stuff. Probably still taking shots downfield quite a bit. but A lot of trial and error. This is big for more levels. And like you said, trial and error, probably we're going to see that a lot in this upcoming season. Hopefully not enough to the point where it's one and done for him, but he's going to have to readjust the roster, that's for sure. And that might take a little bit. So hopefully give him a little bit of a leash. Moving on to basketball, a topic that we don't get to, I wouldn't say enough in our podcast, but we just don't really talk about too much because football and baseball are more on our mind. But there was a big enough trade to get our attention over this past week, and that was Pascal Siakam being traded to the Indiana Pacers. In return, the Toronto or Toronto Raptors received Bruce Brown, Jordan Nawara, two 2024 first-round picks, and the Pacers' 2025 or 2026 first-round pick protected inside the top four. Skyler, my question is to you, does this Siakam trade put the Pacers in the top tier of the Eastern Conference with the Philadelphia Sixers, with the Bucks, who just fired their head coach, uh, and with the Boston Celtics. I like this move for Indiana because when you realize you have a potential superstar running the show here, like Tyrese Halliburton, you should go get him some help. Don't waste the opportunity. Uh, I don't think they're done yet either because uh, about 8 out of 12 guys in their rotation are power forwards, so I'm sure there's a couple more moves coming. Uh, I just don't think they're in the top tier yet. Again, we have a lot of time left, but and well, and the play-in was awesome too. I didn't forget about that. Um, 
Boston, Cleveland, Philly, the Knicks, they're all on fire. Those teams have the longest winning streaks in the NBA right now. And Miami getting Terry Rozier right now with uh, their depth guards leaving, that's a, a solid fill in there. And after all that, you still have Milwaukee. They're in their own category because of the coach situation. They're sitting at the two seed with two superstars. And uh, a possible play-in matchup against Orlando is where they're looking. Who's had their number all season? I just don't think this is the year unless those couple filler trades unlock something in the rotation. Maybe Obi Toppin gets the right minutes to turn him into um, what that kind of role player to help them in the playoffs. And uh, uh, other than that, they're just not as deep as the other teams. So like you said right now, the, the Pacers are the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. So 24-19, same record as the Heat, sitting below the Knicks, the Cavs, the Sixers, Bucks, and the Celtics, like the top three teams that we said. Siakam brings this team. Uh, that already has two 15-plus point scores, one in Halliburton and one in Miles Turner, brings Pascal, Pascal Siakam, who can really give you low 20s per night with five assists, five rebounds would be probably a safe assumption for him. You have a scorer in Benedict Matherin. You have a shooter in Buddy Heald. You lose out on Bruce Brown, which does kind of suck because he's kind of a guy who doesn't do a ton of the stat sheet but does a lot for you, you know, three and D-wise. You still have Aaron Neesmith, Obi Toppin, Jabari Smith, uh, TJ McConnell, a couple other guys on the roster. Looking at the depth of it, they are not there uh, as far as the top three teams go. I do think their record will balloon up to the point where they probably get the four seed. I think they're, they'll be good enough to pass the Cavs. And I know the Cavs are on an eight-game win streak right now. And they're playing their best ball of the season. I don't think that's going to last for Cleveland. I think there's going to be some issues that arise later on. They're sellers. They're still even, you know, three games behind Cleveland. So it's not like it's that far out. I think they do get up there and probably get the four seed, if not the five or whatever. But you look at those three teams compared to Indiana, and you know they're not quite there yet. So... Unfortunately, I think the Pacers are just outside of that top three or top four, or I guess three. But uh, I think they did. I like them a lot. I think it'll probably get them maybe into the second round. But if I'm putting this Pacers team up against the Sixers or the Bucs or the Celtics, they are the series. And maybe not against the Sixers. The Sixers have found some ways to choke in the past, but. I would not bet my money on them. I'll just tell you that. Yeah. That does it for basketball talk together. Let's go ahead and move on to the second half with some MLB Hall of Fame results. Oh, yeah, man. So the next class of the BBWAA Baseball Hall of Fame voting. We found out today we got three new Hall of Famers, which is awesome because we've lived through years where no one got elected that's how difficult it is to get into this thing uh so we'll get right into it man that's adrian beltray 95 percent on the first year todd helton 79.7 percent on the sixth year breaking the cores curse playing his entire career there and then there's joe mauer sneaking in at 76 percent on the first ballot joe mauer first ballot hall of famer I'm all on board with that. We'll start with these three guys. Do you have any problems? I I see three guys that I grew up uh, understanding this was probably where they're going to end up here in Cooperstown. Yeah, I, I got no problem with these three dudes being in the Hall of Fame. Some, uh, we, something we talked about earlier, Billy Wagner. He, he just misses here on his ninth year, 738 he will get in. That's just the way it works, man. Everyone picks up a couple of votes each year. Uh, it, of course, if you have no off the field issues and Billy Wagner, awesome guy and an awesome left arm, he'll be in there. The big thing from the top of the group here, Gary Sheffield off the ballot. I didn't think he would get in, but it was still an interesting story because he's a guy who like randomly got plus 40% one year. So I'm like, wait, is this actually going to happen? I see the first known steroid guy, but no, that doesn't happen. Uh, Andrew Jones is getting shafted a little bit. For some reason, certain guys have to wait 10 years. Um, 
again, it's the same thing with, with Billy Wagner. You know, he was a reliever, so they don't want him to be in too early. Andrew Jones didn't hit for contact, not a lot of base hits. He's going to have to wait. Uh, Carlos Beltran, on the other hand, he's doing well, 57% on the second year. It seems like not as many people have an issue with the Astros stuff anymore. Uh, so we'll see. This yeah. guy could could get in in a couple of years. We had talked off the podcast a little bit about this. I love the comparison between Alex Rodriguez and Chase Utley on the ballot. Chase Utley ended up falling down a little bit further than we thought. He dropped about 20% from the projection, but still about 30%. Uh, he's on track to get in in 10 years, which is a big deal. Um, A-Rod, however, moved down after his third year. Uh, not looking good for him. I was expecting 40-something percent. Maybe he would eventually get in and be the guy who breaks the barrier for this thing. Not the case, man. Uh, Omar Vizquel will not get in. He dropped after people Googled his name one time. Uh, my guy, Andy Pettit, is not getting in, but we knew this. Um, one more big thing here at the bottom. David Wright stays on the ballot with 6.2%. I you know, gave a little speech about him um, because he's an awesome player and definitely could compare to these guys on the ballot. The thing is, with the steroid guys falling off, uh, that opens up some spots here for some people to add them on. And, man, all you need is that 6% to get rolling. That's what happened with Larry Walker. And uh, I know looking back, it's like, really? Larry Walker? He hit 300 for his career. What do you mean? But that's just how it happens. So I'm glad David Wright has uh, has a shot here. And uh, R.I.P. Bartolo, he's gone. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll hold on some of the things that you said and kind of my yeah. opinion uh, with them. I think they got the three guys right. Those dudes definitely should have been in regardless. Wagner, it's kind of blue ball on the guy for a year. Like 73.8, you'll get in next year, but... Should have just saved him the headache and put him in this year. Sheffield, I expected to not go in. Andrew Jones, will get in. Most likely, it's just going to take a bit longer because these voters are stubborn. Beltron, I'm shocked that he's at 57. I thought it'd go down a little bit, but maybe Astro stuff doesn't really mean too much to these guys. A-Rod, Manny Ramirez. Kind of fitting. Those are right next to each other in the voting for this year. <laughs> I don't think they're both like the Hall of Fame, even though they probably should with their stats. That's just how that will be Hall of Fame is. Utley. I thought a little bit more of Chase Utley. I thought he'd get it a little bit closer to about 40%, but 28.8 isn't the worst thing, you know, that will continue to grow and grow as he gets to the years. The scale, I wish less people voted for him because he's a shithead. Jimmy Rollins, absolutely great dude, but he will not be in the Hall of Fame most likely. Bobby Abreu, a guy who didn't have a air quote Hall of Fame career, according to Bob Nightingale and some of the other dudes. Just watch this dude play. Bobby Abreu is really fucking solid. I know he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but I think 14.8% is pretty disrespectful to him. Andy Pettit, Pettit. 13.5%. That probably should have been a bit higher. Burley at 8.3. I'm okay with. K-Rod 7.8. Just closer type stuff. You got to do some otherworldly stuff to get into the closer. Tory Hunter at 7.3. And David Wright at 6.2. Those both break my hearts because those are obviously two dudes for us specifically that we watched growing up. And, you know, once we knew baseball, those guys were good. And in the league, see those dudes, you know, not get the numbers that they probably deserve. It's unfortunate for David Wright. You understand it a bit more because he was hurt for a lot. Although he did have, you know, seven year stretch as good as anybody in the league and Tory Hunter, you understand it as well too, because he just probably wasn't a hall of fame caliber player. Hall of very great. It didn't make the or we're going to make next year's ballot, I guess, with Jose Batista, Victor Martinez, Bartolo Colon, Matt Holliday, Adrian Gonzalez, Brandon Phillips, Jose Reyes, and James Shields. Yeah, that's probably all the To be honest with you, maybe Bartolo should have gotten a bit more for votes and stuff that he did get because thing, he has you know, the counting Manny, stats. It, 
if Manny Ramirez is that high up with A-Rod, why wouldn't Bartolo be? You know, maybe people who just care more about it now with the, the new age. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Obviously, he wasn't that great of a player, but he did have a Cy Young first season, and he played in the league for a really damn long time, and that, that should you know mean something in, a, in this. But I understand it on why he's not there. So... Also, shout out to Hunter Rance and Game Shields, who got zero votes <laughs> and were on the ballot. <laughs> yeah, that's hype, man. Well, uh, congrats to those three guys. I'll definitely be checking in when they give their speeches in uh, in Cooperstown a uh, month or two from now, probably. But uh, in I got, June, I think. That makes a lot more sense. <laughs> you don't want to be in, in upstate New York right now. Yeah, that's, no. uh, that's Josh Allen. Anyways, we got one more football thing here. Another mock draft post-divisional round. Um, Right now, it's just more about trying to plug a prospect into a system. What would happen? Uh, Less about uh, a guess because we're starting to understand more things here. So uh, let's just jump into it. Not a lot is changing at the top, man. Caleb Williams, he's going number one. He's cheaper. He. We don't know if he's as good, but there's a good chance he's as good as Justin Fields. And um, you can't trade the number one pick again. Okay, that's just it. Number two, Washington. We don't know the coach yet, but it's probably going to be Drake May or Jane Daniels. I have Drake May. I think he's awesome. Uh, number three, New England. Just the way that Gerard Mayo was talking in his press conference makes me think they're going to take Jaden Daniels. I hate it, man. I hate so it. I have him there. And again, there I don't have any crazy trade-ups, so I'm sorry the Raiders get screwed here. Um, but Arizona does get Marvin Harrison Jr. At number five, the Chargers. I, I had the same pick as when we talked about this two weeks ago. Malik Neighbors. This new regime has no ties to Quentin Johnston. It's all about getting the best player in the building, and uh, you got to win real quick, or it's going to be real bad for the Chargers fans. Number six, um, did you hear that Darren Waller is trying to start a rap career? He's already started a rap career. He's dropped albums. So that's going to be Brock Bowers at number six. (laughs) Number seven, the Tennessee Titans. They're going to be actually dropping back and throwing. Get him, Joe Walt. Giant tackle, six foot eight. At number eight, another popular pick of mine. I have Dallas Turner to Bama because their defense is so damn old. I know that the quarterback's an an issue, but they're going to be – the same road here with with the Raiders. You got to make some kind of trade uh, because it's not going to be here after pick uh, six or so. Uh, the Bears, they could uh, trade Justin Fields for some assets that could turn into a big time receiver. But for now, I have Roma Dunze there. I think he is really freaking good. Not too far off from some of these top guys that are considered elite prospects. And my Jets here at number 10. This scenario has Olu Fashanu fallen to us, uh, which is nice because I, I have a feeling they're just going to take whatever offensive tackle is available. But then again, uh, some clips came out from last draft, and it's uh, Joe Douglas, the GM, saying it's it's okay. We're going best player available. It's either Michael Mayer or Will McDonald. So you know, sometimes they do go best available. Uh, we'll skip around here. I actually have Bo Nix at twelve to the Broncos. Sean Payton's going to do something weird, man, and. Um, the Raiders are next, obviously. I gave him Talise Fuaga, a guy I like mocking to the Jets a lot because he's a, a ridiculously athletic, run-smashing right tackle. And you guys are going to trade up for Michael Penix after that. Yeah. Because uh, some some bad, bad showings in the championship game. I'm not saying it's deserving, but I'm saying that some of the younger guys may look a little more, more polished, a little, you know, Faster, obviously, without the the massive injuries over the past couple of years, and that could drop the mm-hmm. stock. So yeah, yeah, we're in a, in a weird spot. Like I said, Tom Telesco's public opinion from the Raider fans is going to be based off of what he does with the quarterback position this offseason. So you trade out, and you go for it, and get Jaden Daniels or Drake May or whoever. That's the way you your first year. At least. You're not going to have to do anything to start if you get a quarterback. However, it looks like it's just going to be so damn hard to get into that top three because every single team in that top three wants a QB 
and there's three QBs there that are awfully good. And, and ready you to know there's going to be panic teams, just like I said with Denver, man. They're going to panic and take someone who doesn't deserve to go there, and that's going to mm-hmm. open up space for the Raiders to do whatever they want. Yep, but uh, I will say, yeah, I, I'm not one of those Twitter guys, but uh, Antonio Pierce did make the photo on Twitter of Jaden Daniels saying that he wants to be a Raider. So I'm sure he does. <laughs> Caleb Williams uh, wants to go to uh, the Rams too, right? But yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Jaden Daniels wants to be a Raider. But him wanting and him becoming. Mm-hmm. Or something that would be at least five years apart because we wouldn't be able to draft him. So we just have to trade for him. Regardless. Fun do you stuff. Have any other you want to talk about or? No, that's all. It, it doesn't really matter uh, up until the senior bowl. We got some of those rosters. It's going to be really awesome. And uh, with the new rule changes, some of the really top prospects who aren't graduated because they're not focused on school. They want to get out of there and go to the NFL. They're going to be there practicing on NFL Network every day. So we'll be checking in on that. Yeah. Moving on to our MLB moves that we had this past week. Still the MLB offseason. And I'm looking at the names, man. I'm on Fangrass right now that has all the different moves that you see. Uh, whether it's a big one or whether it's a small one. And let me just lift off some. I'm not even going to say where they went. Some of the names that we saw over this past week, we saw Austin Baugh, Josh Van Meter, Jesse Hahn, Sandy Leone, Matt Bowman, Hunter Dozier, Devin Sweet, Tyler Nevin, Jeter Downs. But we have some decently big moves with a few different things. The first of which is Robert Stevenson going to the Dodgers, or not the Dodgers, the Angels on a three-year deal. I know it's not a big name right now, but Robert Stevenson has some of the most nasty stuff out of anybody in the bullpen. A high 90s fastball, good breaking ball as well, too. Robert Stevenson, whether he works out in L.A. or not, this guy's nasty. The stuff that I saw from him in, in Tampa Bay last year and in Colorado before that is, is really impressive. I like this guy's stuff a lot. Not even the biggest reliever of that day because we got Josh Hader signing a five-year deal to be the Houston Astros closer. Who's the loser of this guy there? Ryan Presley is because and he's the Rangers. been one of the <laughs> yeah and the Rangers, but he's been one of the best closers in yeah. the MLB over the last five years. You know he got traded from the Twins, and I want to say twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen. He's had that job ever since then in Houston. They've been great. You know, they won the World Series in, in 2020 or 2022. Jeez. Uh, and every opportunity that he's had, he, he's been well. And then he hasn't been hurt. He hasn't, you know, had any hiccups. And they just say, fuck you, Ryan Presley. We're getting somebody better than you. And there's only two or three guys better than him. And they found one in Josh Hader. So just like Kevin Williams in Milwaukee. Uh, other moves that we saw was a Rollers Chapman signing a one-year deal in Pittsburgh. Exact same thing that we saw last year where he signed in Kansas City and then got traded at the trade deadline and Kansas City maybe got a you know, decent prospect back or two. I think we just see the exact same thing this Absolutely. year with Pittsburgh. He's not even going to have the closer role because Dave Bednar is there. So have fun in you know the seventh and eighth inning for two three months of rollers, and then we'll see you back in Texas come playoff time. Yeah, with the Astros. And then we got yeah, and then we got <laughs> a flurry uh, of moves today. One being Joey Gallo signing a one year deal with the Washington Nationals. Last year we saw the Nationals sign Yammer Candelario on I believe it was even a minor league deal. And turned him into an all-star type player. Flipped him to the Cubs. Got some decent prospects back. And it really worked out well for them. Hopefully, or what the Nats hope is that they do the exact same thing with Joey Gallo. A once all-star tier player. Has a couple bad seasons. Goes to their team where there isn't enough attention. And you just play a good ball in April, May, June, and July. And you get shipped off to some team and some return for some prospects. 
Uh, we saw Kobe Allard sign a one-year deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a guy who was once a really high prospect with the Atlanta Braves, got shipped over to the Rangers about four or five years ago, never really found a spot there, went back to the Braves, and I think he only pitched in one game before he got hurt this year and had like 10 or 11 oh. strikeouts. So Kobe Allard it goes to the Phillies. James Paxton, who has been hurt a ton over the last three to four years, obviously was really good in Seattle. Three no hitter for Seattle in Toronto. Big Maple signed a one year deal with the Dodgers. So they got the Japanese star, they got American stars, and now they have two Canadian stars, <laughs> Freddie Freeman and James Paxton. And then we saw the Angels make a couple small moves. Alfonso Rivas, who has bounced around for some teams. Uh, and then Miguel Sano as well, too. So that's a lot. And then it'll be offseason. Hopefully we get Bellinger to sign soon. Hopefully we get Chapman to sign soon. Oh, not Aralis, Matt Chapman yes. in the near future. And some of the other dudes that are just holding out for deals at this point because this is the most annoying part about MLB free oh, yeah. Just, I mean, my biggest takeaway so far is like, wow, like Tampa Bay is an actual seller for the first time maybe in their entire franchise. It's not just BS to get rid of guys, you know? Yeah, they're an interesting spot because Tampa Bay, they've always been the exchange of talent where it's, you know, get one or two years younger. It's not like, you know, you trade a star and you go ahead and get some young 18, 19 year old kid to come in and go up through minor league system and go from there. They elect players that are MLB ready or have been in the MLB for a year and they just exchange guys out and usually they would be okay with just keeping on doing that. But their shortstop decided to do some things that he probably shouldn't do and, or not probably definitely shouldn't do. And, uh, now they have to change the way they operate with the franchise. Yeah. Move on to our layups and bowl predictions. It was an interesting week last week. Both of our layups missed. I had Buffalo money lines together. had Tampa Bay plus six and a half. Yeah. This week, I'm taking the over in the Niner and Lions game at 50 and a half. I think it's going to be real tough for the Lions defense to stop. And I think Detroit will score enough for the over to hit. So, actually, uh, this is a typo. It's Pacheco under 65 rushing yards, is what I meant here. 45, that's a little scary, but I'm going to have 65. That's the bold. Yeah, that would be a bold prediction. I, I feel like Kansas City is, is going to go outside of their comfort zone here. And um, this kind of thing hasn't worked for them this season. We saw it with, against Detroit, against the Raiders, against Denver. Uh, when they stop running to Pacheco, their offense is not as smooth. And I predicted a loss. So under 65 rushing for Pacheco. Yeah. Full prediction for me this last week, that is. Uh, I had a parlay where it was Detroit. Minus six and a half and Baltimore Houston over 44 and a half. Detroit one hit and there was 44 points in the Houston and Baltimore game. So one point off, unfortunately, but that's a red for me. Skyler Hood, Kansas City money line is giving a fifth pump, but I did not like that that one hit. This week, I don't have any odds on this, but I got Lamar Jackson four plus total touchdowns. I don't know if it's going to be two through the air, two through the ground. Maybe it's two through the air, one through the ground, and one receiving or special teams. Maybe they put them on a pump return. That'd be pretty dope. But uh, I got Lamar Jackson, four plus total touchdowns. All right. I'm going with a Brock Purdy anytime touchdown here, plus 500, whether it's a trick play or a scramble or a sneak. Um, because here's another guy who was really uncomfortable last week in his playoff game against. Uh, an okay defense, and they got another okay defense in Detroit. I really liked how Purdy scrambled around in the fourth quarter. That really opened up the offense, and um, they need to do that more. So I'm predicting one of them goes into the end zone here. Plus 500. Uh, first time I've ever uh, picked anything for Brock Purdy, so let's see how it goes, man. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for episode 176. Any final remarks that you want to say? Or? 
Yeah. Uh, Josh Hader will not work in Houston. He's afraid of four out saves. Well, good thing they have Ryan Presley to take one of those outs away. And, uh, oh my gosh, Abreu. Brian Abreu. I'm blanking on his first name. Like, they don't allow a run from May to September or something like that. They got him. They got a whole bunch of other dudes in there as well, too. Houston, not like they never left or ever left, but they are back. At least bullpen-wise. Yeah, so... Hopefully I can speak some kind of Houston failure into existence because I'm sure everyone is on board with that. Those are, those are just my closing remarks there. I hate the Astros. I hate the chiefs. (laughs) I want them to lose this week. Well, good luck, Kyle. We'll see you next week. Thank you.